Good morning BFC, my name's Pete, if you don't know me, and it's great to be speaking to you this morning. Before we get stuck into today's passage, I'm going to pray. So, Father God, we just ask by your spirit that you would bring the words of today's passage to life. I pray that through what I've prepared and through your Holy Spirit, you would speak into people's lives today, that they would be challenged and would be encouraged. Amen. So how are you coping with lockdown right now? Are you one of those people that's got accustomed to this new kind of new way of living? Or are you one of those people that's itching to get back to normal? I know for myself, I'm, although I really enjoy going to work and I really enjoy engaging with the team that I've got there and seeing people every day, actually I've quite enjoyed not having to pay my train fare um, each month and being at home all the time has given me so many more opportunities to spend uh, with my daughter, spend time with my daughter, which I wouldn't have had otherwise. So in some ways, I'm really not looking forward to going back to how life was. And I wonder how many of God's people were thinking the same way uh, when the Persian Emperor Cyrus gave them permission, the people of God permission to go back to Jerusalem. And we're continuing our series in Ezra today and uh, starting at chapter one, verse five and going through to the end of chapter two. And uh, that story of the Israelites returning to Jerusalem. Now, I wonder if there was divisions in the people there when uh, King Cyrus made this, um, this declaration and whether they, you know, the older generation had seen the temple, um, they'd met with God there, you know, before it was destroyed, whether they were really yearning to get back to, to rebuild and, and to uh, recover what they'd lost or whether, and whether the young people were looking at it really differently that had just grown up in, in exile, they'd grown up away from their homeland and didn't know any, any different. So if you want to start turning your Bibles or your devices or whatever you're using this morning to uh, chapter 1 verse 5, you might notice that it's uh, quite a long list of names that we've got to get through this morning. Um, so we're going to read it in two chunks, so hopefully it's a bit easier to manage. Um, and when we read these passages in the Bible, we've got these like lists of names. If we're honest, they can be really challenging to read. They can be difficult, um, but actually they're, they're so, so important, even though sometimes when we're reading them, they can come across as a little boring. So I really want you to bear with me as I'm reading through this morning. Um, and if we think about like the possibilities of um, if those lists and stuff weren't in the Bible, we'd be losing out on so much. Firstly, because it shows us that God cares about individuals. These families that are listed in today's passage, um, they're, you know, their family names, and they're, they're the exact number of, of descendants that travel with them. And you can think about um, our own church as we read these verses, if you like, if that helps you. Um, think about the family names that we've got in our church. You know, God called these families um, out of exile, and God is calling uh, families in our church. So God is calling the Gales, he's calling the Donies, he's calling the Westbrooks, and the many other families that we've got in our, in our church. And so although... God, we can see in these verses that God is changing nations. Um, we can't forget that actually God looks after individuals. God uses individuals. We read um, in our Bibles about God using Rahab or Esther or Mary. You know, God was doing these enormous things through these women, um, bringing down cities, stopping genocide, you know, bringing the, the Messiah into the world. So these are enormous things, but God's actually using individuals to do his work and carry out his purposes. And as Craig said last week, 
the people of God um, have been taken into exile. They were taken out of the promised land by invading nations. And now 70 years later, as, as was prophesied, Cyrus, the Persian emperor, he, um, he's allowed the people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So we're going to start reading now from verse 5. Uh, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought to uh, Mithridir, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. This was the infantry. Gold dishes 30, silver dishes 1,000, silver pans 29, gold bowls 30, matching silver bowls 410, and other articles 1,000. In all there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver that Sheshbazzar brought all these things along and the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Chapter 2. Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispah, Bigvi, Rehum and Banah. The list of the men of the people of Israel. The descendants of Parosh, 2172, of Sheptiah, 372, of Ara, 775, of Pathmoab, through the line of Jeshua and Joab, 2812, of Elam, 1254, of Zatu, 945, of Zakai, 760, of Bani, 642, of Bebbi, 623, of Asgad, 1222, of Adnoacam, Adno 666, of Bigvi, 2056, of Adin, 454, of Atta through Hezekiah, 98, of Bezai, 323, of Jorah, 112, of Hashem, 223, of Gibbah, 95. The men of Bethlehem, 123, of Netophah, 56, of Anathoth, 128, of Asmapheth, 42, of Kirith-Jerim, Kephriah and Beeroth, 743, of Ramah and Geba, 621, of Michmash, 122, of Bethel and Ai, 223, of Nebo, 52, of Magbish, 156, of the other Elam, 1254, of Harim, 320, of Lod, Hadid and Ono, 725, of Jericho, 345, and of Senna, 3630. So I'm just going to pause there. I hope you're still with me. So I think the second thing that I want us to notice is the different roles that we have to play. As we've said, God works through individuals, through Cyrus, the Persian emperor, and now through Zerubbabel, who led this group back to their homeland. And Zerubbabel leads the group back to rebuild the temple and to be in worship once more. And we can see that in his aim from the makeup of the people that he's got. So we've got these two categories. We've just kind of read through like the kind of ordinary Israelites. And then the next section that we're going to read um, goes into the priests and the servants of the temple. So Robable is looking to rebuild worship in the temple again, 
to um, rebuild the temple and, and start worshipping God again where they were. And so he's going to think about, okay, who's, who am I going to need to make this happen? Jesus walked with us individually, but he calls us into a church to play a part. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls the body of Christ, calls us the body of Christ and explains how we all have different roles to play. And these verses just so clearly show us how um, different gifts and different abilities all fit into God's bigger plan uh, with all his people. So I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians. Uh, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of not one part, but of many. And then skip down to uh, verse 21. The I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, but the head not, cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the, spot, the parts that, we, that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has a part of it. I just absolutely love that passage. It's such a clear picture of each of us in our own individual roles, but all with our different gifts and abilities, and how we all come together in the body of Christ, united in that one spirit. So let's uh, pick up uh, the next part of our our verses from chapter 2, verse 36 of Ezra. And so we're starting off with uh, the priests. So it says, The priests, the descendants of Jedediah, through the family of Jeshua, 973, of Immer, 1052, of Pasha, 1247, of Harim, 1017, the Levites, the descendants of Jeshua and Kadmiel, of the line of Hodaviah, 74, the musicians, the descendants of Asaph, 128, the gatekeepers of the temple, the descendants of Shalom, Atur, Talmon, Akub, Hatia, and Shubai, 139, the temple servants, the descendants of Zihar, Hashupa, Tabathoth, Kiros, Siaha, Padon, Lebanon, Hagabbar, Akub, Hagab, Shalmai, Hanan, Gidel, Gaha, Riyar, Rezin, Nikoda, Gazam, Uzzah, Pasia, Bazai, Asna, Meunim, Nefuzim, Bagbuk, Hakupa, Haha, Basluth, Mahida, Harsha, Barkos, Sisera, Timar, Neziah, and Hatifa, the descendants of the servants of Solomon, the descendants of Sutai, Hasophereth, Peruda, Jalala, Darkon, Gidel, Sheftiah, Hatil, Pokereth, Hazabim, and Amai, the temple servants and descendants of the servants of Solomon, 392. The following came up from the towns of Telmar, Telharsha, Kerub, Adon, Imma, and they could not show their families were descended from Israel. The descendants of Diliah, Tobiah, and Nakoda, 652. And among, from among the priests, the descendants of Habiah, Hagoz, and Barzai, a man who had married a daughter of Barzai, the Gidite. 
and that was and was called by their name. They searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred, sacred food until there was a priest ministering Urim and Thummim. The whole company numbered 42,360, besides their, their 7,337 male and female slaves, and they also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave freewill offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 darics of gold, 5,000 miners of silver, and 100 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, and the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their, their own towns. So, apologies for my um, pronunciation of some of those names. I got through it as best as I could. The, uh, the last thing that I want us to, to point us towards, to the importance of these passages, is the historical record um, through which we can study the history of God's people. If we think about the genealogy of Jesus, and we want to study his family, his family line, because the prophecies about him being born of the line of David, well, if we don't have uh, these records, and we don't have these names in place, how can we check those things? So um, Zerubbabel, that is named, as I said earlier, that leads the people back. He's actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus as well. And this list that we just read is also listed in Nehemiah in chapter 7 as well. So we're able to look at the whole of the Bible. It shows God's faithfulness over the generations, the vast story of God's people that we are still living out. And Craig gave us a summary last week of some of the Old Testament, the story of God's people. And we are God's people. So this is our story too. This is our spiritual ancestry. I've got these two books here um, that uh, talk about the kingdom of God. So I've got uh, God's Big Picture and um, the, this by Graham Goldsworthy as well. So this is kind of a, like a shorter version of this one. But both of them are really helpful in terms of giving us... Um, a bigger picture, that, that step back of the whole of the Bible and seeing what God is doing throughout the, all of Scripture. Um, and those books, they use the definition of the kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. And since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it's been God's plan to restore his people to that right place. And although um, we see this kingdom in part in through the Old Testament, some of that happening before our eyes in this very passage, ultimately those things would not be fulfilled until Jesus would come along several hundred years later. This passage gives us hope in reminding us that God had not forgotten his people in exile. God had stirred the heart of his people and they obeyed the call to come back. They obeyed the call to come back to his place, to his place, and this is all part of God's restoration plan. Even now I've heard through... Um, the last few weeks and months, people said a few times that COVID-19 lockdown, that was not a surprise to God. So, um, and that's true. Uh, he is working. He's even now perhaps calling hearts, stirring hearts into his purposes and plans. And so we all have a part to play in God's purposes being fulfilled in bringing in his kingdom. 
And so I urge you all, as I've just said, to really dig into God's word, really study it, because it's a historical doc document. We can do that. We can study it. These passages that we've read today, they give historical context and credibility um, to what God is doing. You know, the Bible can take it. It's been studied for thousands of years or hundreds of years. And we can, um, we can dig into it and we can, uh, we, can, we can test it in that way. We can test it. We can study it against all the other historical documents. And it holds up. We are part also of a rich spiritual history. All the families we read about in these verses were responding to a call of God. He had moved their hearts. And you think of the, um, the spiritual history of our church, of BFC, of commission that we're part of, or New Frontiers, or even if you want to go, go further back in um, church history, think of some like heroes of faith. You might think of someone like um, William Wilberforce or um, uh, Martin Bonhoeffer or Corrie ten Boom. Um, all these people, we are walking in their footsteps, in the footsteps of what God has done with them beforehand. And Christian biographies are a really great way of reminding us of that spiritual ancestry that we come from, that spiritual history that we have. So what has God put on your heart? Maybe this is the moment uh, God is calling you now to give your life to him and become a Christian. Or perhaps you've just got questions. If that's you, then I'd really encourage you to get in touch with us through the church website and we could chat with you. If you could be, have been following uh, Jesus for many years and maybe there's new ministries, new ways of serving the church and new burdens that he's put on your heart. We had that email from Neil and Craig earlier this week about all the new plans and um, new decisions that are going to have to be made as we try and get back to, to normal life. And there might be new opportunities for you to step up and serve. So God wants us to be part of what he's doing. God's purposes will be fulfilled and um, he, he will achieve his ends. That is a certainty. But he calls us to be a part of it. And I, and I know for myself that it's a scary, it's a scary thing to, um, to ask God. It's a scary thing to be caught up in God's plans. Um, you know, that, that prayer that's, here am I, God, send me. That is a scary prayer to pray because God will use that. God will um, take your word for it and he will use you. But that's so exciting to be caught up in what God is doing. So I'm just going to pray to finish. Father God, help me to listen to you closely, to speak to my, speak to my heart, Lord, and show me clearly what you want me to do in my life and how I can serve your wonderful purposes. Help me so that I would know when you want me to step forward and when you want me to step back. Father God, thank you that you've not abandoned your people, that you, God, that you love your people and that you've called your people and that we at BFC are part of that calling. Thank you that you have a place for me, that you want to use me, that you want to use us and bring your, your people into your place and under your blessing. Amen.